0: This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83Bar Incorporated. It is presented as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsor nor the guests are rendering any medical advice. Any opinions or claims presented by the guests are their own. Welcome to The Patient Speak Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, The Patients Speak, where we're combining the science and innovation in medicine with the patient voice. And my guest today has some important insights on listening and a whole different sense that we're using. For listening, I'm so happy to be talking to Sushma Subramanian. Sushma, nice to be welcome here. Welcome to you. the program. It's just so great to be talking to you. And Sushma is not only a science and healthcare journalist; she's also a professor of journalism at the University of Mary Washington. Her work has been featured in Slate, Atlantic, L, Scientific American, Discover, and many others. And she's the author of a terrific book called "How to Feel: The Science and Meaning of Touch." I think we just start right off with that notion that touch can be a listening tool, especially in patient-physician interaction. What's been your research in that area?
2: There have been a lot of changes in the just the historical course of medicine that has made touch a less valued sense over time. So historians will often talk about this sensory shift that took place in the 16th and 17th centuries, mostly because of the influence of Protestantism where just the world started to feel differently. So in terms of medicine, what happened is you had these early medical practitioners who cared so much about the senses and for them touch was the most important one. Like if you're thinking about very traditional healing practices, like in ancient Greece, there were these key tactile properties of the body, heat, cold, wetness, and dryness, and keeping them in balance was what helped to keep people healthy. And with these changes, which in some ways improvements to having more Kind of objective science, deciding how to treat patients. There was also this like kind of moralistic belief that sensory pleasure, something that was very important to medicine before, could corrupt your morals. It just became more important to kind of uh, be more objective, scan the body from a distance and observe a patient that way and use touch less. And you've seen that over time, medicine has changed to become even less tactile since then. We're not just like scanning with the eyes, but actually using more body, like technology, body scans, really increasing that distance from patients. I think what's missing is that feeling that patients had of this close relationship with the doctor that was so comforting in the past. So even as there have been improvements, there's something missing in the patient experience because of this trend.
1: Yes. And it's so interesting you use this word comforting and reassuring and that sort of closeness. We talk to so many patients and patient advocates on this program, and often they talk about the conflict that even the doctor feels about having to fill out the forms and do the medical records right in front of them, that often they don't even feel eye contact, let alone physical touch. How do you think that affects communications, thinking now of touch as a communication tool?
2: I think that is probably behind the reason that many patients say that they don't feel seen. their doctor don't feel seen don't feel heard because these appointments do end up being rushed the actual relationship that forms between the doctor and the patient becomes more perfunctory in that way and so what's happened is that because touch isn't so central to the doctor-patient relationship people do develop I guess a, a closer relationship with their nurses for instance because we outsourced the tactile part of it to nurses but I mean in mainstream medicine even the way that nurses touch patients is often perfunctory so even outside of that we see the growth of this of the wellness industry that in many ways has helped people find that feeling of care and comfort that you were talking about that maybe they don't experience in traditional medicine but the problem with that of course is that who has access not everybody. Not, everybody. And not
1: Yes.
2: Not only is it a function of money, right? Whether you can access the wellness industry, but also a lot of cultural assumptions of, you know, who would go to say a wellness retreat, right? Probably that's more acceptable for women culturally. And I think for marginalized groups, that's all it is. It's also less accessible to them.
1: And you're raising an interesting point about maybe some of these complementary treatments, osteopathic adjustments, chiropractic, acupuncture, things like this that do have a physical touch component.
2: Right. We do see that as touch has become more sidelined in traditional medicine, we have these specialties in which touch is more important popping up, but then you have to question, what if we just... incorporated more sensory practices in traditional medicine, would there be that necessary separation then? And I just look at the hospital room, right? It's absolutely not a tactile place. It's totally sterile. There's no color, right? And I don't think there's much attention paid to comfort of the surroundings. So what if there was a way in just small ways to incorporate that kind of sensory, thinking to Western medicine environment.
1: In a recent episode, we talked with Dr. V, who is a medical director at Cedar sinai but one of his interests was palliative care. And in that area, he did find a comforting holding of the hand, a hand on the shoulder, something like that did have very powerful effects. And you're talking about incorporating some of these simple ways into the day-to-day interaction.
2: I think so. I think it's especially important in cases where there is no kind of quick fix. So palliative care, you can obviously see why those patients would want to be comforted above all because the treatment is less possible for them. But I'm also thinking many other chronic health conditions where perhaps living with the problem is part of just a patient's reality. Incorporating more of that kind of sensory thinking into their treatment would be helpful. So I'm thinking like chronic pain patients, right, would benefit from that.
0: We'll continue Mark's interview with today's guest in just a moment. Our sponsor, 83Bar, offers proven patient recruitment solutions for medical product launches and clinical trials. The team at 83Bar can help you achieve better patient outcomes. Find client success stories and market reports, along with resources like videos and publications, all on their website, 83Bar.com.
1: Very good. Well, let's talk about another element of the book, and that is the science and some of these terrific haptic technologies that are improving many patients' ability to enjoy their sense of touch. Tell us about some of the advancements happening in that area that you found.
2: Yeah. So many of these changes are still in their infancy. So you can see them in research labs and not yet in, in the technology that patients use. But one case where the science is pretty well-developed, is not for amputees, giving them prosthetic limbs that can actually sense feeling. And I think that for, say, insurance companies, trying to decide whether such a technology would be w- useful, right, for a patient, I think they're trying to make sure that it can help them maybe ret- like the such a device would help them return to work faster or make them more capable at work. But these patients actually have a much deeper reaction to regaining touch than just that. So I watched being done on a man named Igor Spedit in Cleveland, and he was doing, or he was using a touch-enabled prosthetic. And it's not like an improved... His function so greatly. It helped with small things, like he could pick cherries off of stems without looking more easily. With without the touch, he would have to look very carefully to make sure he was doing it right. But what, and so I guess there was a little bit of improvement in terms of just doing tactile motions without as much thought, as much careful thought or without vision. But for him, really like having the sense of touch helped him embody himself. So he actually felt like this arm that he was missing was a part of him again when he had the prosthetic limb. even if it's like a very primitive sense of touch. And if you think about the kind of person, like for him, being able to use his hands, he'd always worked with heavy machinery. It helped him to regain a sense of himself more deeply that, that I think isn't as easy to measure, right, in a research study, but was very profound for him.
1: Yes. It is interesting that you say about the sort of combination or overlap between our senses, that the touch helps us listen and feel better. And uh, we also talked with a guest who talked about the sense of smell and the sense of taste and all of these things that work together To embody our full sensory, maybe. In
2: the sense of touch and vision are especially correlated, right? Because if you think of someone who has lost vision, they use touch to replace it. And I guess if you don't have touch, Igor Spetic, who I was just talking about, then you replace that with vision. So they go very much hand in hand, these two senses, and they're also really important For helping us develop our sense of self and embodiment. So like, how do you really recognize your body day to day, just the feeling of living within your own skin, while you like feel your body's movement at the same time that you witness your body moving through space, right? Those two senses being, li- being aligned is very important for us.
1: And you mentioned so many of these new technologies are still in trials and research. And of course, the sponsors of this podcast, 83 Bar, is interested in recruiting more patients to trials. And really, like you were talking about access to really mainstream technologies and making these more mainstream. What was your sense in your research about patients' interest and receptivity to being involved in this kind of clinical research?
2: Oh, for many of these patients, they badly wanted to be involved in this kind of research. They were really enthusiastic about the possibility, in this case, of regaining touch. So I think it was really, you know, a matter of not enough research opportunities for them to get involved with rather than like lack of patient interest.
1: Yes. And what about the there's such a trend now towards virtual healthcare or telehealth and telemedicine. How do you think that touch being separated now, we're talking virtually, microphone, <laughs> screen to screen, <laughs> we're not able to access that even a handshake. What do you think the implications of that would be? And
2: that is just not in medicine, but just everywhere, right? Well, we're just spending more time on screens. And that's been a reality for a long time that's been developing. And I think that the best example of the fear of that being a constant of life is in the film Ready Player One, like just this dystopian world where people are more obsessed with like the image that they are projecting of who they are rather than their embodied self. And they'd rather live in this virtual world than the one they actually live in. and And there's this fear that the true world will decay around them as a result, right? So I think that we have these big societal fears around that. However, I just think it's more practical for a lot of people to be meeting online through screens. There is an increase in accessibility because of that for many patients. And so I think that it's just about creating balance in life, right? Learning how to balance a lot of use of the screen with these other needs that people have.
1: And as we continue to involve or evolve the patient communication and improve this dialogue between patients and physicians, what else have you seen in your research about feelings and touching and the implications of improving that as the years go on here?
2: Yeah, I think that a big aspect of of just touch in daily life that's changing and has been changing for a long time is that there are fewer opportunities just in social life for people to be touching. And uh, obviously touch from the time that we're babies is just really important to our our wellness. Of course, like having a nurturing touch helps to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system, which has all these great, of course, a cascade of things that happen as a result of that. But there's been in this increased talk about skin hunger, right, what happens when you don't receive touch. There's more loneliness, more depression, right, mood and anxiety disorders. People say that when they're touch efficient, they also have a harder time recognizing their own emotions and then recognizing those of others. I think that is a bigger societal issue that we're contending with, right? That just there are fewer opportunities To be touched. And also, a lot of this is just like falsely created by society, right? Like, we've limited the spaces in which people can be touched. So it's pretty much just romantic relationships at this point. And fewer people are engaging in long term or marriage, relationships, right? More people are living alone. And so I think that's just going to, sorry, that's my dog in the background. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but we there are fewer opportunities for people to be touched. And that's why I think it becomes all the more important that when you're in a healing setting, there is some opportunity to receive that. Well, my
1: immediate thought was, we'll edit out the dog. But then okay. it, it occurred to me that our pets and our animals often provide us that sense of touch that we need, that we hunger
2: for, oh, absolutely. And I think that we have tons lots of different ways of even as society limits the places and ways that we can receive touch, there are, I wouldn't say replacements, but adjunct therapies that people have turned to. I think one of them is pets, and heading our pets is a great opportunity to receive touch. but also we have, weighted blankets and fidget spinners. And there's a growth of this is like yoga that involve a deeply reflecting on the feelings of the body. So people are finding ways to receive touch even as it's become more limited.
1: What a wonderful conversation. My guest has been Sushma Subramanian and she's the author of a terrific book called How to Feel, The Science and Meaning of Touch. Sushma, as we close before we wrap up, I wondered if you could bring this practical thinking to us now. And we mentioned that there might be ways to incorporate more touch in our day-to-day lives, but specifically to this podcast, the patient and physician communication. What are some of those thoughts that whether it be a practice or whether it be clinical trial protocols, how do you think we could incorporate the ideas of touch more?
2: I think that when we're talking about the doctor-patient interaction, we're not just talking about real physical touch, but also just this metaphorical feeling of touch, just having that relationship form with the doctor. So I think just the physical examination is a big part of that. And I think that a lot of doctors are not doing that as much or using scans instead, but not only is it important to check a patient's vital signs, right? But also I think the physical examination is a great way to develop that caring, and also connected relationship, right? With a doctor, it establishes a connection there. And there's plenty of research that shows like, after we touch somebody, we are more open to them, right? We're more receptive to them. When a teacher touches a student, for example, on the shoulder, when they're trying to solve a difficult math problem, it helps them and it encourages them. So the same way, I think it's really important to pain that traditional practice of the physical examination. I think that's a big thing, but also just thinking of a room where a patient is receiving treatment. How do you create a space that feels comforting and inviting and makes it feel like a nurturing space where they're going to receive care. I just think that it's the small ways that you can think about the sensory experience of the patient.
1: Very good. Sushma, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. And I guess to bookend, you started with Ancient Greece. And you've brought us up to the current times and thinking about the difference between touching to really learn about the patient's status just from touching the skin and all the various properties that the physician back then could feel up until the current day where the sort of diagnostic scan and the touching could reveal. I've learned a lot from our conversation. I really appreciate it.
2: Great. I had a great time. Thank you.
1: And how can we connect with you and learn more about your work and follow you?
2: My website is SushmaSubramanian.com. So that's a great place to start.
1: (laughs) Very good. And listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue conversations like this about how to improve the patient-physician communication. But also, as we've heard today, that communication can lead to greater confidence and trust between the patient and the physician, which who knows what ripple effects that might have on not only their treatment and their compliance with their treatment, but their overall sense of well-being. And that's what this podcast is all about, trying to accelerate the journey from diagnostic all the way to the sense of wellness for patients. I'm Mark Stenson. Join us again next time where we'll talk to another healthcare leader about what we need to hear when the patients speak.
0: Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey with Mark Stinson. Presented by 83Bar, supporting well informed, confident, and decision ready healthcare consumers. Learn more about their patient activation platform at 83Bar.com. You can listen to our show on any of your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for unlocking your world of creativity on your favorite podcast app.